Let us pray. Heavenly Father, at this time we ask that you help us to focus our thoughts and our attention on you. And we ask for all those things that may battle for our attention, that may compete for our attention, that you will just simply thwart them all away. That we will be able to settle our hearts and our thoughts into your hand where we will find rest, where we will find strength, where you wait for us so that you may speak to us. We ask that you help us to open our hearts, that your words may come in, that they may change us, that they may shape us to be more Christ-like people. And as we give our attention now to these words written in the Holy Scripture, Lord, we ask that these words will shine a new light on the darkness of our hearts today. That you will somehow speak your gospel truth to us wherever we are in our lives, because wherever we are, whatever season we are going through, we need your truth. And we ask that you present that truth to us that you confront us with that truth this morning. Bless this time that we have in your presence and in the presence of each other. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture today comes from Psalm 85. We'll be reading verses 1 through 2 and verses 8 through 13. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go up before him and make his footsteps away. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Last week we began the Advent season by by talking about how there is a psalm for every season. There's an old saying that there's a song for every season, meaning no matter what you're going through in life, triumph or tragedy, joy or sadness, love or heartbreak, there's a song for that. But there's also a psalm for that. And that's why the book of Psalms is so powerful, because no matter what we're going through in our life, we can all relate to what is written in the Psalms. And so through the Advent season, we're looking at a psalm each week and we're taking it and we're thinking about the implications for our own lives. And how during the Advent season, whatever it is that, that we are going through, that we, how we can apply the Psalms to our lives. Uh, the, the reason songs are so powerful, the reason music is so powerful, is because we internalize them. 
love songs are popular because love is a familiar feeling. Because people feel love, they fall in love or fall out of love or experience heartbreak or whatever. And so they hear the songs on the radio that they can identify with and they internalize them. It becomes their song. And it's the same way with the Psalms. When we read them, we internalize them. And they are powerful because they connect with something deep inside of us. Now this Psalm that we just read here is uh, much more upbeat than the one we read last week. The one last week, remember, was all about uh, the, how, how horrible things have gotten. And God, why have you let this happen to us? But yet we have hope. We trust that you will restore us. This week, on the other hand, the psalm remembers that God is good and that God has restored us. And that's the main difference in the psalm. And God is good. We just sometimes need to remember that, right? I don't know what it is, but we are very forgetful sometimes when it comes to God and his mercy and his love. Sometimes we have the tendency to take it for granted as part of our fallen human nature. We do that with other relationships, too. People that are close to us, people that are dear to us. We take them for granted. Sometimes we forget exactly how important they are to us. Most couples, when they go into marriage counseling, the counselor, the counselor one of the first things they'll say is, remember what it is that attracted you to this person. What was it about your spouse that made you fall in love with them? And what they're doing is they're trying to get you to remember the good things. They're trying to get you to remember why you love them. Our relationship with God is no different. It's easy to know why we love God, but sometimes we have to remember it. Sometimes we have to remember how merciful he has been, how good he has been, how provident he has been. This psalm starts off by saying, you were favorable to your land, you restored the fortunes of Jacob. That's certainly different than last week, where we're hoping for a future restoration. But it's a remembrance that God is good. At the beginning of this service, I said, Emmanuel, and you said... God is with us. That's right. Now, there's another sort of call and response thing, sort of like that, that you may be familiar with. And it says, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Great. Y'all know it. I tried to teach those two things, the Emmanuel and the God is good uh, things to my kids earlier this week. Uh, We were in the car riding to school, and, and I told them, Emmanuel, God is with us. We practiced it a couple times, and I said, now let me teach you another one. God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. I messed up by teaching them both on the same morning, though, because they started getting them confused, and I would say, Emmanuel, and they'd say, God is good. God is good, but that's not how it goes. Uh, it, but as long as they remember that God is good, they will be doing much better than, than sometimes we do. Because sometimes we easily forget how good God has been. But God has restored us. He has restored us in the past. He will restore us in the future. And that's the difference in the, past, uh, in the passages from this week to last week. Last week we are looking forward to restoration. This week we're talking about restoration as a past thing. But it doesn't have to be a before and after. God's restoration is ongoing. It is continuous. It's perpetual. God has restored us in the past. 
He is restoring us in the present, and He will restore us in the future. And we can remember how He has restored us in the past. We can pray for Him to restore us now, and we can look forward to the wonderful restoration that lies ahead of us. But this restoration, there's more involved than just God doing something good and restoring us. There's a lot more involved than that. In fact, if you look at the next verse, after that first verse, it says, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. But the next verse, verse 2, says, You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. Selah. Now, Selah in the Psalms means stop, meditate on this. So we're saying God is good. God has been good. He has restored us. And he has forgiven us. Now let's stop and reflect on this for a little while. Whenever we remember that God is good, it's always good to remember the ways in which he forgives. The ways in which he has forgiven us and the ways in which he longs to continue to forgive us whenever we come to him. Restoration and forgiveness go hand in hand. They work together. We cannot be fully restored in God's sight until we have been forgiven. And once we are forgiven, we are restored. But that's not all. There's something else that goes with both the restoration and the forgiveness. And that something else is peace. If you look down at verse 8, it says, Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. He will speak peace to his people. To his saints. When we are restored, when we are forgiven, we experience peace. Now, we have a misunderstanding a lot of times about what peace means. And as the kids said, peace can mean anything from quiet to some cake uh, to them. But uh, peace can, can, can really mean a lot of things. It can draw to mind different images for us. We may think of uh, people who are just simply pacifists or people who aren't willing to take a stand on something or they don't want to rock a boat. Maybe we think of peace as somebody who, who just avoids conflict at all costs. Maybe we think of peace as just the absence of drama. Maybe we think of peace as just, okay, we're not arguing right now, so there's peace. None of those truly represent what peace is. True peace is when we are at harmony with our Creator. True peace is when we are at harmony with our Creator. That's what it means. So let's go back and let's revisit what those angels said when they came to the shepherds and they said, Peace on earth, goodwill to men. They weren't saying, No more wars on earth. They weren't saying... No more political arguments at the dinner table. They were saying, may all of the earth experience harmony with God, with their creator. May all of the earth live in peace and right standing with God. Because peace means that we are finally at harmony with our creator. So we see, as we said last week, we have hope for restoration. But that restoration is made possible through forgiveness. And forgiveness brings about that peace that we all long for. But that forgiveness can only come about through true repentance. God doesn't just give forgiveness if we don't seek it and if we don't repent. 
There has to be repentance. There has to be a turning from our sin. And it's only after that repentance that we can find peace. Repentance has to be complete. It can't be something that we halfway do. It's a full commitment. All of us have our own struggles, our own sins that we struggle with more than others. And I'm not going to get into a thing of name and sins because you do that, you're going to leave one out. But all of us, and you, you probably know what it is, and maybe there's more than just one or two, but all of us have something that we keep falling back to, a pattern, a habit, a lifestyle, an addiction, whatever it may be that we keep falling back to, we keep falling for. And we, and we hate it when we do it. We know that we're weak when it comes to that one thing in our life. But we keep doing it. The only way we can experience forgiveness is to totally surrender that thing to God. We can't make allowances for it. If you are struggling with something that constantly keeps pulling you back in, you can't give it an inch. There's that old saying, and it's kind of funny, but there's some truth in it. Leave the door cracked and, and the devil will get his foot in. It's the truth. If, if you make an allowance, if there's something you're struggling with, and then you say to yourself, well, I'm only doing it a little bit. I'm not as bad as I used to be about it, so I'm okay. God forgive me, but also recognize that, that I don't do it that much. That's not total surrender. Repentance, true repentance, is complete and it makes no allowances. And it's whatever our weakness is, that's confessing it before the Lord and asking Him to deliver us from it. Now, we may still struggle with it and we, we will struggle our whole lives with sin. That's the, the, the curse of living on this earth in a world darkened by sin. But as long as we continue to repent, He continues to forgive. And as long as He continues to forgive, we will continue to live in peace. It's only through true repentance that we can live lives of righteousness. Righteousness means right standing before God. Right standing in front of Him, before His eyes. Look at what uh, verse 10 says here. It says, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. In other words, right standing before God. And then peace with God, that harmony with our Creator, they, they work together. They go hand in hand. We can't have true harmony with God unless we are in right standing with Him. We can't be in right standing with Him unless we truly give Him our hearts in repentance. There's that old Christmas song in the bleak midwinter that says, What can I give Him? I will give my heart. That's truly all that He desires. He desires the heart, the complete and total surrender of the heart. Now, so far, I've been talking about all of this on an individual level, on a very personal level. But I want you to notice that this psalm has a very communal aspect to it. All throughout the psalm, the psalmist is saying, you were favorable to your land. You restored us. You forgave us. You withdrew your wrath from us. So the psalmist is talking about us. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the nation of Israel. To give you some context on this, many scholars believe that this, this psalm, Psalm 85, was written right after Israel uh, was released from captivity from Babylon. And so the psalmist is praying, you have released us, you have freed us, you have restored us. And it's very communal. 
And so when we think about repentance and we think about forgiveness and we think about peace, we think about it for ourselves, but we also have to think about it in community. And we have to think about, as the psalmist says, our nation. Our nation will find restoration. Our nation will find peace when it repents. Now you're sitting here listening to me talk about our nation and you're probably thinking I'm talking about the United States of America. I'm not. I love America just as much as anybody in this room. But I'm not talking about the nation of America because that is not our first and foremost nation. When this psalmist is talking about Israel, he is talking about true Israel, God's chosen people. Now, sometimes we think of Israel and we think of, you know, the Israeli government. We think of the country in the Middle East, Israel. But we have been grafted into true Israel by our salvation, by our confession and our belief in Jesus Christ. We have become true Israel. So when we read this psalm and we are reading about Israel, we're not reading somebody else's story, somebody else's history. We are reading our history. We have been grafted into true Israel. And true Israel is the church. So when we talk about praying for restoration for our nation, forgiveness for our nation, repentance of our nation, we are talking about the nation of true Israel. We are talking about the church. We are talking about us right here. We are talking about each other. That's what true Israel is. When we sing, born is the king of what? Israel, right. We don't say born as the king of that country over there in the Middle East. Born as the king of some of the countries that, that claim Jesus as, as their uh, predominant religious figure. We don't say born as the king of the United States of America. Born as the king of Israel. And he's our king because we are part of true Israel. Now we pray for our country. We would pray for America. But we must first pray for the church. Because the church, when it repents, when it is restored, when it is growing and thriving, the church will have a profound influence on the country. And on all the countries. And on the world. Our, our nation, the United States of America, was founded because people of true Israel sought religious freedom. They sought ways to worship God in the ways that they knew to be right. And the United States of America was born in the process. The church had a profound influence. But we've lost that somewhere. We've lost that influence. And now, United States of America, the country, a lot of the... the, the Political figures, a lot of the establishments, the, uh, they, they want to silence the church or put the church in a, in a corner or in a box and say, okay, there's this group of people over here, the church, and we've got to appease them or we've got to you know, do whatever with them. We have to acknowledge them, but we don't want to let them control us. But the truth is the church must come to a place of restoration itself so that we can bring true peace, harmony with our creator back to the world. There's a saying that says, as America goes, so goes the world. But in all honesty, as the church goes, so goes America. And if as America goes, so goes the world, then the church must need more than ever to be a holy and divine influence on the nation of America. That's how we make a difference in the world. 
The angel spoke peace on earth, goodwill to men. And if that is in fact our wish for the world, then we must seek restoration of ourselves and of our nation, true Israel, the church. And in doing so, we will be seeking restoration for the world. And not just any restoration, just as we don't seek just any peace, we must pursue divine restoration, which comes about only through full repentance. And in doing so, we will experience true peace, spoken from God's lips directly into our hearts. Each one of us must be restored in this way. Beyond that, the church, true Israel, must be restored. And when true Israel is restored and walking and living and growing in God's peace, the whole world will be transformed. It's as simple as that. When we are forgiven, we will live in peace. And then we will bring peace to others. That's God's entire master plan. That is the point of Christmas. It's the point of Easter. It sounds so simple, but that's it. God's master plan is for us to be forgiven, to live in peace, and in that place of peace, to walk and grow in peace so that the whole world may know and experience that same peace. That's the master plan, and that's why he sent his son to earth. Let us pray. Lord, we confess that we've had misguided notions for so long about what peace is. But we pray that you help us to see it as true harmony with you. And we pray that you help us to pursue it so that we may be in true harmony with you. Whatever is in our life, Lord, that keeps drawing us back, whatever that struggle is, whatever that thing is that keeps us from being in total and complete harmony with you, We confess that this morning. We ask that you take it from us and that we turn and walk away from it completely. We ask that in that moment of forgiveness, you will restore us. And in that moment of restoration, we will find peace. Lord, we pray for true Israel. We pray for the church. We pray for all your people, the body of believers here on earth. We pray that you restore that body. That whatever sin is there, whatever has been allowed to fester and grow, that it will be confessed, that we will also turn from it. Let the church be strengthened. Let the church find restoration. Let the church find peace so that our brand of peace, true peace, the peace that comes from you alone, can be shared and can transform the world around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 218. It came upon the midnight clear. That's 218 in the United Methodist hymnal. If you've made a decision of any type, I invite you to come forward and share that with us. The altar remains open for anyone who wishes to come forward and spend some time with God in prayer. But please stand if you are able and join us in singing hymn number 218.